Welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast with Michael Russo and Jackie Russo. To learn more about how to improve your brand, visit brandrusso.com. Hi, welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast, the show that uh, Michael and I do together. Um, and we, I just totally lost my train of thought of where I was going. This is what happens get... when you ad lib. This is what happens when you make, you, you just wing it. No, it's what happens when I'm trying to think of a way to say we do it even when we're in a fight, but figured you wouldn't like that. So I changed direction mid-sentence. I'm going to put all, all right. this out there. I'm going to put oh. this on the podcast. Oh, I hope you do. Actually, I hope this does stay the introduction. Matter of fact, just carry on. Joining us today, Eric Quanstrom. Y'all, he's the chief marketing officer at Science No S, where he built the inbound and outbound programs to help grow the company into a 4X winner of the Inc. fastest growing private companies in America. I often think those things are kind of like, oh, it's just numbers. You can make them say whatever you want. But after talking to this guy for an hour, I'm surprised it's only 4X because he is a light, um, well, a bright light of knowledge. And let's be honest, before we were getting on, you were, you were grimacing. You were like, oh, God, this guy's going to be using big words and he's going to wear me out. I knew you were going to call me out on that because we're in a fight. Um, but I absolutely did say that. Um, and I owe Eric a huge apology because he was awesome. And he, he was. was smart and intelligent and came with lots of information. He did drop some things you didn't know and you had to look it up. So I was a little bit right. I, I did. I did. But no, it was very it actually it was. um there's so many new things going on right now, technology wise. And I hate to get to talk about those things exclusively because I like talking about brands and branding and emotional connections and all those good things. But he got that as well and was able to kind of incorporate that into what they're doing in a lot of ways. So anyway, it was very positive. And um, to be able to have somebody break it down for you like that, it's it's less fearful. And, for, you know, it makes it more approachable, I think, in a lot of ways and, um, and what they're providing. So and it was definitely in the B2B space that we've been playing in as well. Well, are you on board now that the world is not going to end because a couple of AI things have been developed? Oh, I didn't say that. I mean, we're oh, okay. still, the, the jury right. is still out on that. I'm just trying to figure out how many guests we have to book to get you onto that frame of mind before you'll All accept right. your fate. And one day soon, you're going to go to the fridge and the fridge is going to say, I'm sorry, you've had enough to eat today. We're shutting you down for the night. That wouldn't be a bad thing, Michael. I've seen my <laughs> fridge habits. Or your car. They'll just turn your car off because, you know, they, they, you, you've been on the road too much or you've been driving too much and we need to conserve energy. So we're just going to shut your car off. That happens to 18 wheelers right now. You know that, right? Right so now there's a machine in saying. the truck that says you've been on the road too long. You're approaching the potential for fatigue. You have in the next 30 minutes. You have to pull over and park and rest for however many hours. Don't use good examples against me. I'm just saying. <laughs> But this is the world and it is a better world because of it. Are you kidding me? If my refrigerator would say, these are the kind of things you like to eat. This is the meal plan for the week. Go buy these groceries. And by the way, somebody's going to make it for you. That's my perfect universe. All right. Let's welcome oh, wait, Eric. That's already what's happening. I just have to be married to the guy instead of the appliance. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Back to Eric. Boy, when he listens to this, he's going to think, thank goodness they didn't make me sit through that introduction. Um, needless to say, Eric is awesome. I think that you're going to learn about some B2B marketing. I think you're going to learn a lot about AI and how it's affecting all of us, but some really positive ways. You're going to learn about the customer's journey. You're going to learn about, about FOMO and how the fear of missing out is affecting people, but also FOMU and the fear of messing up 
and what a great driver that is in our decisions. So look, I'm just going to get into it. Y'all welcome Eric Quanstrom from Science to the podcast. Eric, thanks so much for being here. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, and I did get that right. Quanstrom. You nailed it. Oh, I usually ask ahead of time. And then I was in mid sentence and thought, oh, I'm going to blow this. So thank goodness. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't think it's that hard to pronounce, but you never know. My name was actually Americanized through Ellis Island many generations ago. So go fig. What do you what was it originally? Kvarnstrom um, mm-hmm. from Sweden. And I guess whoever was working the gate that day, like <laughs> just said unpronounceable, change the last name. Here we go. Nice. Yeah, my uh, my family came through the same uh, same island, and um, my great grandfather was Salvatore, and somehow he ended up as Sam. It was just Sam. <laughs> yeah, Americanization starts early. There you go. For sure. For sure. Um, so on to business uh, topics. You know, I love the array of guests that we get to have on this podcast. And I think it's because we'll just pretty much book anybody who acts interested. So thank you for that. Um, but really, it, it is a high quality, I think, guest who can come in and share some expertise and true thought leadership in the world. And with the work you're doing at Science, I feel like you have a lot of hot takes on how marketing and advertising and branding is changing, what it's been, what it is, and what it will be. So I'd like to kind of start off in that direction. What do you think are the the big hot tools right now? Well, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't put AI at the front of the class, right? I like, figured you would. And, and we've d- dove, dived, I don't know, whatever the word is, um, with both feet along those lines over at Science. I guess it's brand relevant too. <laughs> you know. Um, so, you know, AI for us is is one of these kind of like technologies whose time has come. And frankly, we're integrating it into not just the marketing department and all of our daily tasks and activities and everything that we're putting out to the world, but also on the client side, you know, because a big part of science's business is services based, right? So people hire us to be kind of outsourced SDRs, um, top of the funnel lead generation. You know, we build pipeline for large and very small companies all up and down the spectrum. And we found that that leveraging AI tools is is really um, one of the ways to get ahead of the game. And so we've we've got a number of tools available now. And um, and for us it's it's just nonstop. And the the improvements that we're seeing in the marketplace are just staggering and impressive. And you know, given the work that we do, it's we're, we're luckily not on the creepy side of AI that feels like it's going to wreck the world and, and damage everything going forward, but rather the productivity or the both efficiency and effectiveness side of the of the marketing game uh, that really helps us do our job well. Right. And maybe that's a great lead in for you to tell the people um, how science works, you know, what y'all do there. And that might make a nice tie in for them on how you're using AI. Yeah. So science was founded in 2015 and are, we're well known, I think, in our space for being number of folks have called us the number one lead generation company um, in America. And what it is we do on the services side is really anything you would think of as outsourced sales development. So all flavors of outbound where we're running sequences on behalf of a brand. So brands hire us, we inhabit as them or we represent to the world as them. Um, so, you know, when <laughs> you name it, we have brands um, as 
large as Amazon, I think technically by total revenues, they're our biggest client. Um, and as small as like, you know, solopreneurs who we are feeding typically into a non-transactional sales cycle. So what that means is the SDR motion can be supported. And so we, we leverage multiple channels, phone, email, LinkedIn, advertising, web, and we leverage our own tools, our own software that we've built, oftentimes AI in the mix for generating conversations. In fact, our tagline is sales conversations start here. And that's what we aim to do for the vast majority of our clients. Sometimes we'll have different outcomes that we're working towards, but for the most part, um, we're working towards meetings or appointments or the beginning of a sales cycle for our clients going forward. And we leverage every available advantage that we might have. So data, and we have our own data product, if you will, for getting as specific and as segmented and as targeted as possible with who we're reaching out to. And then we take the, sorry for the negative warm um, metaphors, but we take the fight to the clients, if you will, or the prospects that we're reaching out to channel by channel. And we leverage a lot of our, you know, kind of winning messaging formulas and a lot of the, the follow-up and follow through that is necessary in a prospecting motion for success. And really at the end of the day, when we're able to win, our clients win too. And so that's the name of the game. We're creating revenue and conversations where there were none before and growing our, our clients' business. Right. And and I think that's the direction that we're heading into, you know, working with so many of our clients and their sales teams. It's always about how do I reach the right people at the right time with the right message? That's the yes. challenge. And so if you can use AI and the research and data around it in the right way, then you're going to put yourself and your clients many steps ahead of the game. Oh, without a doubt. And in fact, you know, one of the things that's interesting that we've we've debuted and, and are rolling literally across hundreds of clients as we speak is a tool called Go Expert AI. So one of the the spaces that exists is, and, and you guys probably appreciate this as an agency, I would think, um, more than anything, the onboarding process, once you sign a contract and then you begin to do work, you're rolling up your sleeves and you're getting, you know, into the nitty-gritty of understanding their business, understanding their buyers, their journey, their buying cohort you know, what's important to them, the problem space you solve for, the differentiators that you have, all of that. And I'm, I'm short forming a lot of it. But understanding that and coming up to speed for the teams that'll be working on that account is not a small problem. And so AI can actually, you know, help bridge or diminish that learning curve dramatically. And that's what we're finding. So our, our tool is really meant to ingest, vectorize um, all the data that we can get our hands on about a client's business or specific product line that we're working on, if you will. Gather all those learnings together in one place, in one repository, and then have the ability to have that information at the ready for our campaign strategists, have it woven into our chat tools so that it can exist on a given client's website, have it available for our SDRs so that when they're jumping on the phones, they already have a complete backstory. And it's almost like they went through weeks of training in that client's business. Wow. That's amazing. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> we're, we're, we're kind of excited about it to be perfectly honest. And I, I don't want to make this all about science and you know, right. us getting high on our own supply, but you know, it, it's one of these things where <clears throat> it's a fundamental problem that exists whenever you're outsourcing anything. And the tension of anyone that's been in the agency business for a hot minute knows that DIY is your, you know, probably biggest competitor in just about every sales cycle. Right. You know, 
So <clears throat> the ability for clients to say, hey, this is not only a better mousetrap or a better method, better firm, um, and you guys are the experts, but we also have these tools to really give our story to you in a way that will be effective and efficient going forward. Right. All right. Bookmark that. We're going to need to talk about this when we're off air because I have some questions. So I, have a, I think sure. I have a project for you. Um, so as a chief marketing officer, getting us back on track for this podcast, you know, what do you feel like um, is some of the bigger challenges? You know, we talk to clients all the time about the issues within their own organization around the silos. How do you within your organization fight that uh, and with the companies that you work with? How do you work through that? Oh boy, that that is um, a border skirmish waiting to happen. <laughs> Oftentimes, you know, where we engage with clients, I'll start there. It's not uncommon for us to predominantly be bought or have a product, a prospect champion, if you will, in our buy cycles in the sales department. So head of sales, you know, VP of sales, director of sales, chief revenue officer, who sees the need for more pipeline, wants an outbound, you know, kind of like service in place and, and sees science as a viable, you know, kind of pick. That said, when we engage with clients, um, especially all the work we're doing on web, all the work we're doing with ad advertising, ad air cover, um, reaching out and getting at the total addressable market of every client that we work with our software tools that oftentimes live and inhabit a client's website, um, we're dealing with the marketing department. And so already you're kind of like, you know, different needs, different wants, different directions, different perspectives. Um, and so the way that we handle that is over communication. Really, we, we teach and train with our own people and obviously with our own tools <clears throat> to help bring and bridge the gap. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that a lot of times we're performing kind of that man in the middle um, for clients that ironically, even though they're in the same company, aren't talking between sales and marketing. And what's beneficial about that, um, so I'll just describe the success cases, is when they are on the same page, then they start to finish one another's sentences in a much more effective manner. Um, and I think for branding experts like yourselves, getting a tightly honed message that is differentiated, that is kind of relevant, that is tight. You know, I, I really like that word because I think of effective branding as being very tight. It's it's having a good understanding of what your persona might be seeking, wanting, looking for, and you filling it. Um, right. So at any rate, like having that finish on or being on the same page is actually worth its weight in gold. It's huge value that we can, as an outsource company, come in and provide. Well, kind of what, what you were just talking about too, that was, I was thinking about that in my head. You know, and Jackie will probably talk more. She's more geeked up on some of the stuff that I am because this is in her space. Um, but we're all having to deal with these these dramatic changes in technology and the use of them. Um, one of the things we really try to preach to our clients um, is, you know, forming emotional connections, being authentic, you know, really having a voice and knowing who you are, knowing who your audience is, et cetera. How do you deal with that part of the equation? Basically, the fear of losing control of that personal touch or that voice as you hand it off to somebody else to to migrate this stuff through AI, through different hands, through all these different things. Now they're speaking for you. At the end of the day, you want to get in front of them, right? You want to land a meeting. You want to get that 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 end result. But in the middle, do you lose anything in that process? And how do you try to get that back into play? I know messaging helps with that, having a good brand standards, all those things help with that. But how does it work within your system to make sure that those those things come across? 
Yeah, I think one of the the ways to look at this problem is what are the deliverables that are being provided back to the client between us and the client? And so ultimately that comes in the form of a playbook, right? So all the the outbound plays that we're going to be running on behalf of a client um, are contained in that playbook that we create for each and every one of our clients. And so we do get the opportunity to sweat the messaging, sweat the details, really hone um, even if it's a segmented message, and it always should be, um, for different personas, it's contained in the playbook. And that's also where a lot of the learnings occur, too. I'd be lying if I said that we were successful in 100% of our cases, you know, beyond all a shadow of a doubt, that's not what outbound is. In fact, I, I would argue that's not even what inbound is, right? If you look at conversion rates on site for the vast majority of <laughs> companies, I think, um, you know, the average conversion rate for a SaaS company these days is about 1% of all website visitors, maybe even less. Um, I've been seeing a lot of trend lines moving down. At any rate, um, what that indicates is that there is a messy middle, always, with just about every kind of like interaction that you're going to have in your go-to-market activities. It's in the middle of that interaction, that messy middle, where you find formulas that work, where you find branding that resonates, where you find like a message that somebody you know, wants to take forward into a sales cycle. And I like to think of, sorry, going high level for just a second. I actually like to think of every sales cycle as a change management exercise, no change, no sale. So if I think about it that way, it's actually a much healthier way than thinking about like, oh, a sales, a sales cycle means new business or commissions or ways that I can leverage it's easier if you think about change management with prospects, because then you're less attached and less kind of like commission breath focused on the sale itself. And rather the better tomorrow that you can offer any client that, you know, sees the need to change with your product services or solution going forward. So at any rate, that that's a little rubric that I think is helpful for understanding kind of like that messy middle, what changes need to occur for a buyer to be ready to say, yes, sign a contract, commit resources and do anything with us. And by the way, it's universal, right? Like that, that sales cycle um, can be applied to brands that I'm super familiar with, like say an Amazon or brands that I've never heard of. Right. A hundred percent. When it becomes the balance of, of the, the pain pleasure threshold. And so, At some point, it's harder to continue to avoid it. And so it just becomes easier to say yes, because there's promise of a solution. And so the solution outweighs the the pain of change. Yes, yes, exactly. And so the thing that's really interesting here, and there's a lot of great literature around this, um, around things that drive a sales cycle. FOMO, I think, is pretty well understood, right? Fear of missing out on something that, that could benefit a business. FOMU, less well understood, but definitely a a very relevant driver. And you talked about trends earlier. I think that's probably one of the biggest trends that we've seen kind of like post COVID into a quasi recessionary environment on the sales cycle for B2B companies, kind of like the, the, the landscape over. Um, and FOMU stands for fear of messing up, right? So how can I get a job done? How can I have a change, you know, (laughs) like effectively into whether it be greater growth, de-risking a business, saving money, um, a new way of doing something, right? Potentially AI enabled. How do I get any of that done where I don't step backwards, right? Like where I don't cost my business, where I don't cost myself and it's career limiting move. Um, you know, B2B buying, I think 
very emotional, right. you know, <laughs> and most B2B buyers, um, are very like susceptible. That's probably the wrong word, but like emotional appeals work, um, largely because of these are factors in their heads. Well, that's something we, we've definitely pushed. We, we try to, we say a lot, we're trying to bring a, um, a B2C mentality to a, a B2B world. Um, you know, having the ability to change the conversation on what normally B2B is thought of, which is very tight and not tight, not in a good word, tight in a more um, uh, unable to form emotional connections and thinking that, well, we're, we're business. We have to be serious all the time. And we have to be this and we have to be that. And you end up with these sales sheets that nobody reads. And, you know, the, the, the era of the pocket folder and the brochure are, are dying. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a world that's changing and we need to change with it. I couldn't agree more with that. And I think you're only going to see as we lean harder into technology, you'll start to see the the superhuman aspects of just about any business really start to emerge and be leveraged going forward. So what do I mean by that? I think that the superhuman or the the the, the really like concentrated humanness of most business processes that can't be automated away will become more important to like every department of every business everywhere. I actually think that sales is one of those last bastions where done well, sales is service, sales is synthesis of information, sales is providing value or what I would almost call sales as service or servant sales. Um, that will survive largely because I think the sense-making, sorry, I'm using a lot of S's here, alliterating, but I think the sense-making of all of that is valuable to buyers. 100%. I want to go back to uh, FOMU and the fear of missing messing up. Yeah, I attended the Ad Age um, conference a couple of years ago, and there's a lot of small agencies. And small in the agency world can be, you know, two employees. It can be 200 employees. If you're not owned by one of the large global, then you're an independent, you're small. And so the discussion was around some feedback that a few different agency um, coordinators, uh, matchmakers had had in conversations with really large companies, you know, Fortune 100 companies. And what those chief marketing officers said, fact or fiction, who knows, but sounds about right, is that they will hire a larger, more expensive, slower agency who has a name because if the agency messes up, it's not going to come back on the CMO. If they hire a smaller, more dynamic, more risk-taking change agent, less expensive, faster, better result agency, and the agency messes up, the CMO is going to lose their job. And that's, I mean, it's years now, but that has stuck with me because it just rings true. That just seems about the level of stupidity that humans sometimes take on. Um, and so I think, I think you're really onto something with the because there is a huge fear of messing up and people want to insulate themselves to protect themselves. I think um, you've, you're an astute observer of trends and there's two responses that I have coming back to that. The first of which is I've long thought that the most effective advertising campaign of all time was nobody ever got fired for buying IBM. Um, <laughs> like, and the fact that you're nodding your head means that you've a heard it before and B yep. like that, it rang true. And, and boy, did that go right to the heart of like FOMU with that brand. Right. Um, my second reaction is 
if FOMO is a factor and we're all kind of like nodding heads and saying, yes, it is, then moving FOMO back up into the top of the funnel and the messaging that we use there around de-risking um, your brand associated with investigation of a sales cycle actually is a pretty important message to get across, isn't it? Right. So, you know, a lot of this isn't done in a vacuum and it's not done for like <laughs> shits and giggles. It's like real world stuff that matters as to that CMO who might be considering an agency switch or maybe should be considering an agency switch. And how can I create the the right environment or the right messaging, the right stimulus to produce kind of like a sales cycle that doesn't have them fearful of losing their job? Right. Right. No, you know, 100%. So that's, that's very relevant for small agency owners as they conduct really any go-to-market, I would argue, um, but especially relevant in, in things like outbound, which we see on the daily. Right. No, 100%. I get to participate in a lot of our client meetings you know, throughout the course of a week. And one thing that's always remarkable to me is how much we like each other. You know, <laughs> these people who are strangers, they like us and we like them. And, you know, Michael has a lot of fear around AI. I'm not going to get into it because that's a, like a couch therapy session that might take an hour. Uh, but sure. the one thing that concerns me around it is not that it's going to take our jobs, it's going to take over the world. It's that I want to make sure it still provides a chemistry match. Mm. And so how do y'all work around that at science? What, what what do you do to work on the chemistry part? Because to me, that's a huge part of it. Because if we don't like each other, we don't have trust with each other, we don't have a good working relationship for each other with respect, then we're not going to do very good work for them and they're not going to be successful. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and I think that <clears throat> it sounds trite and cliche, but like it it is about the tool, but it's not. You know what I mean? Like it's still at the end of the day, um, the tools don't just run every client engagement, the humans behind the tools or that are using and leveraging the tools do. And so that chemistry match is still very, very human. And that goes a little bit of the way to the point that I was making earlier, which is I actually think that that becomes more important, more concentrated, more acute um, for agency businesses or businesses that have humans in the middle Um going forward. Now, do I think that those humans can be better leveraged, smarter, um, more powerful when they've got like AI tools on their side? Absolutely. Um, and I think the the one thing I would hope, um, pray <laughs> that science never does is bury our head in the sands as the march of technology kind of like is right in front of us as this huge trend line that changes everything. I've often said, and I've got a, a gray hair or two on my head, um, but I, I've been through three major waves, if you will, in the business cycles of reshaping kind of like the business environment forevermore. First was the public introduction of the public internet. Um, second was basically the, the move to mobile computing. And the third was basically, and two and three are kind of like interchanged depending on when you accept um, they took off, but cloud computing. And so moving everything to the crowd and everything to a subscription-based business um, because of it. So, and I think that the fourth revolution that I'm going to see or are, we're already in the throes of is that AI revolution. And it, it kind of trumps all three. Right. Right. And I would, I would add to that in our world, um, the introduction of digital advertising and social media advertising, but otherwise I'm right there with you all along the way. Yeah, um, for sure. And, I mean, socials I changed so much. Huge. So much. It's, it's changed how our entire industry works at every single level. Yeah. 
and how we think about getting messages across and the amount of content we have to create to communicate those messages and, you know, and the, the time that some people want to waste on uh, social media platforms that are not applicable to them. No water treatment facility. You do not need a TikTok. Uh, so. Well, I think that's <laughs> and just on that. I mean, I, I think that's part of the problem right now, too. I, I call it the age of mediocrity right now because there's so much content being produced that is just average. It's good, but it's average. You know, um, that's what AI is doing for a lot of people is it's it's, it's taking away that the pen and pen in hand paper process of coming up with a good idea, you know, yeah. um, and, and if you're generating something, you can feed an AI source, all this information, and they can output some stuff that sounds like a human wrote it, but it's, it's just generic. It, it sounds like, a, like maybe an intern wrote it for me and I would have to go in and kind of spice it up, you know, and it's going to get better. I know that, but right now it's just flooding everywhere and you can almost pick it out a little bit. You're like, oh, okay, that was, that was, it, again, it's, it's not bad but it's not great. And I think that's always, hopefully that's always going to be a room for those people to seek that out and businesses um, across the board, because when, you know, you look at your competitors and we do that a lot, we do these competitor analysis and we look at what everybody else is saying, what does their landscape look like? And what is your advantage? How do you say it differently? How do you stand out in the crowd? You know? Yeah. Well, differentiation could be its own, you know, maybe hours long podcast for <laughs> sure. And I think that it's probably well worth everyone's, time listening to this to be thinking always about your differentiators. Um, if you're looking to AI to provide those for you, maybe you're looking in the wrong place. Um, if you're looking for AI to refine those messages, I think that that might be a more apt use of the tool. So, or the the technology. Mm -hmm. For sure. You know, you, you when I asked about uh, the AI being, you know, human-like and chemistry and the need for that. I thought you made a really great point when you talked about the humans. And so it's just the tools, right? It's still the humans. And that brings me back to kind of the direction we were just heading with messaging. How important it is, no matter what assistance you have for the first draft, because the first draft is going to be Google research. The first draft is going to be chat GPT. The first draft is going to be an intern pulling up research or a um, an entry-level employee. First drafts come from anywhere. Yeah. I think the importance is remembering our role in the final draft. Yeah. Because that's when the human, not just any human, but specifically your business is human, gets directly involved to make sure. Because the agency could provide a draft. And now the client is verifying that, stamping it and approving it. If you don't have a well-crafted, clearly defined voice, then the human layer in that rounds of drafts is going to get lost and it's going to start to sound like everybody else. And then you're back to blending in and you're not differentiating. And we're right back where we started with the problem before AI even entered the equation. You know, that's a great point. And I think that the, the having a strong editing hand um, is an often under indexed upon marketing skill. Oh, well said. I mean, it's true though. Like if you think about it, like where does great branding come from? I think it comes from having a point of view, a perspective. It comes from having something to say and a way that you as a brand want to say it. Every example where if you pulled a hundred people on the street and said, name the best brands in the world, right? Like they would all fit that archetype that I just described. Yep. And so that ability to, again, have that perspective and really perspective means that you're already an editor. 
it means that you need to execute that editing hand with anything that your your company is putting out. So, so yeah, I, I think that that's um, part of the unspoken job <laughs> description for just about every CMO on the planet. Oh, Michael wants to be talking right now, but we can't hear him. But I see his mouth moving. There we go. Sorry about that. There I was he is. moving there around. He's, back. he's back with us now. I could tell because really when you started talking about that POV, I saw him move his mic and lean in. I thought, ooh, some great words of wisdom are coming. And then it was silent. I don't know about all that. Um, but no, we, we we believe in that definitely. I think we're definitely I, I love hearing that from 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 you. It kind of makes me feel feel good inside because I, I was just reading this email that popped up and it was um I get these all the time. And um we do everything. No long-term contract required. We get the results. Um, this is from somebody who, you know, I think $1,500 monthly for internal sales and et cetera, et cetera. But I get this all the time, right? So with so much flooding the the, the world, we talked about authenticity earlier and catching messages and who you are and whatnot. I mean, this email, I mean, good for them. I mean, it's nicely put together. It looks nice. And I'm not going to say who they are or anything, but um from what you do, how do how do you try to change the 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 conversation on that and the perspective of, or if I'm a business, what am I looking for? Like, what am I looking for when I get an email like this that's trying to lure me into something? Oh, this is cool. I'm going to jump on this, or I'm going to try this, or and to avoid the trials and tribulations of trying things and wasting money, you know. And and what is what is the key to that factor? Yeah, poof, we're back into the FOMU conversation. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I would say this as far as platitudes go, and, and it's always dangerous to engage in this, but like, I don't think you'll ever go wrong as a marketer overestimating or like really taking into account your buyer, really trying to understand them at a deep and fundamental level, their problems, their concerns, their perspective on the world, like their needs, hopes, wants, dreams, and goals, you know? So like, cause at the end of the day, as far as I can tell, you know, that's what business is all about. <laughs> One company serving another. Uh, again, back in that change management that I talked about earlier. And so the better I can understand that buyer, especially the problem space that I inhabit and how I bring differentiated solutions to the market, I can then couch everything that I say in the lens of them. And I think that that's where the best marketing really occurs. You know, it's like, it feels like it, they're talking to me, right? Like that's what you hear when you survey people that, that feel like marketing was effective. Oh, it made sense for me. Oh, they were like, this brand got me. Mm -hmm. And and you used the word emotion earlier. Um, and I think that that's a fair yardstick to put out there because emotion is heavily part of this. You know, how someone feels about a given brand, a given solution how they feel in a sales cycle actually are the, usually the, those motions that carry it forward or frankly, ghost a deal and kill it dead. Well, it all comes down to feelings. We don't really make any decision based on logic. Everything right. we do is based on emotion and we just use logic to justify it. A lot True of people words. get, 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 they back off on the word. They hear emotion are like, oh wait, we're not that those kind of people. They think it's either laughter That's or sadness. Feeling. Right. Yeah. And um, emotion is, 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 is a big word, but it, it just, again, like Jackie said, how you feel about something that, that, I mean, if I feel anything, or if I feel nothing, I mean, there's, there's something to be said about that, that I think people don't consider as much as they should. I would agree with that. I have a rubric that, that I've 
kind of long operated by, and I'd love for you guys to correct or invalidate this if you feel it's off base, but I always feel like brands are kind of like empty buckets. And the more associations you can fill and put into that empty bucket, um, especially positive associations with your brand, um, the better you're going to do as a business, you know, because you're chasing somewhat of a moving target, right? Like I can't know exactly the way that every persona that is experiencing the science brand is going to react to what we're putting out. Um, that said, I can make some very POV or perspective-based decisions on the margin of what people might think when given this message. And again, the more, and I actually think volume plays a role here too. It's marketing awareness, it's familiarity with a brand, it's exposure to a brand that generally has a lot of positive connotations. Um, we tend to like that which is familiar to us, and we tend to distrust that that is unfamiliar to us as human beings that roam the planet. And that's generally true and has been for time immemorial. And so, <clears throat> you know, volume actually does matter in, in these cases or in these things. Matters even more when those brand associations are done outside of things you can control. So this is where we come into like word of mouth or social media or things like what we're doing right now, podcasts, you know? So like if I'm planting idea viruses in people's heads <laughs> and they, they, they associate, you know, me with, with the brand science and think to themselves, Oh, that guy wasn't a blathering idiot. Maybe there, there's some smart folks over there that, you know, <clears throat> do some good, good work. Right. And that carries forward into that filling of their, that person's empty bucket. I, I, I think Jack and I both agree with that. I think she would as well. Um, because we, we do these touch point maps where we try to, and I agree, the quantity of positive touch points need to outweigh the negative touch points because you're going to have negative touch points. They're going to happen. Somebody's going to be upset with you. Let's say you have an outdoor event and it rains. That's not your <laughs> fault, but they're going to be mad because it rained that day. And they're going to, they're going to have a negative feeling about you. And they're saying, I'm not ever going again because it rained that day. And I'm going to talk bad about it. I'm going to spread the word. I'm going to be a negative influence out there for you. So we want to have enough positive touch points to cloud out the negative ones whenever possible. Yeah. That's that's a really good point. I think so. deep in the weeds of branding come things like how do you respond to negative events or, you know, customers that didn't feel 100% satisfied or like whatever negativity may come across. I actually also think that in the today's day and age of counterfactuals, fake news, like a lot of people distrusting just about everything under the sun, you're never going to please 100% of the people 100% of the time. So the negative comes with the territory, as you said, and a lot of it is how does a brand navigate that? How do they find a balance of positive and negative sentiment? Because one of the worries that I always see um, are those companies, you ever come across this where you see a company like Say in the B2C example, you're, you're buying a product on Amazon and you're like, wow, the reviews are way too good here. Like, and all of a sudden you've just introduced FOMU into that situation because it's too good to be true, which is a very weird, un if you were to unpack that emotion on a buyer side, it's super complex and complexity generally hurts most sales um, and sales cycles. <laughs> but at any rate, that which I can control as a brand and fill my bucket with a positive associations, I'm going to try to do. I would also say that holds space for a lot of things you were saying earlier about rising above mediocre work. So the more great work you can do um, to fill that bucket with like, oh my gosh, that was one of the best podcasts I ever listened to. Oh my gosh, 
you know what? This blog post was actually really, really good. Oh my gosh, this website, like it answered all my questions and I didn't need to go searching for five hours to figure mm-hmm. out what I was looking for. Like those exceptional experiences fill the bucket in a way that like, it's really hard to quantify. Attribution is such a hobgoblin for those kinds of things, but are so meaningful to a brand and, and moving the needle forward. Yeah, they have so many, um, like right now, and um, sorry, Jack, they had um, like these influencers on TikTok and, and different um, uh, platforms. They're, they're like, they've become the chat GPT experts and they're telling you, hey, I found this way. I can type in this and it'll give me 25 posts and I'll write these posts and I can do it all in five minutes. I'm like, well, maybe that's not the best thing. I mean, gr- great as a starter, like Jackie said, great as an idea to get content out there. But if your only goal is to fill the calendar without any substance behind it, I mean, what are you actually doing? You're just making more noise, you know? And yeah. um, people, I think, will feel that out eventually. I think that's right. A hundred percent. As you're talking about, and this kind of ties in what you're both saying, with you know, flooding uh, the market with content, to Michael's point, and, and to your point, talking about the buyer's journey, what's the process that you go through in determining that? Um, and I'm not looking for trade secrets, but I'm just curious, how do you go through that determination of saying, because I know, you know, a lot of people do it, but I don't think a lot of people do it well. And so um, would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that <clears throat> one of the things that I, I would give you an answer on that I don't know if it's our secret sauce at all. But one of the things we've leaned exceptionally hard into over the last few years is conversational intelligence, right? So, you know, we, we deploy gong and a variety of other tools, but listening to what people actually have to say, going through and analyzing like each one of those sales cycles as they exist, pattern matching on things that are sticking points or you know, analyzing both closed one deals, looking backwards in time and closed lost deals backwards through time are super illuminating. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> what I would say. Like you can learn a ton from what you've already done and then kind of apply those right. pattern matches going forward. You know, cause here's the other thing <clears throat> as segmented as we want to be in, in getting to a world of, you know, a message of one for one individual, right. um, is counterbalanced against the notion of a lot of roles, a lot of jobs, a lot of businesses in similar industries or geographies or other ways to slice and dice data tend to behave similarly. Mm-hmm. And as such, problem spaces tend to be very similar. Um, understanding those problems is actually where a lot of insights are born. You know, like I say all the time <clears throat> to our own SDRs, and hopefully this, this example gets me where I'm going and the point I'm trying to make. But I often say like SDR work is both impossible and unfair. It's impossible in the negative pejorative case because you're calling into titles of jobs you've never done. Right. So it is impossible. Like when when an SDR calls me at a CMO and asks me what keeps me up at night, I'm like, you don't even know and have the context for understanding like if I gave you an honest answer, and by the way, those 37 things wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't help you like with a sale. So don't ask it. Right. Um, but on the flip side, the unfair advantage that I think SDRs have is that your average SDR is going to talk to more CMOs in a given week than I do in a given month. And we'll probably be an information broker and arbitrager 
if you will, if they're smart, um, at starting to learn what some of those problems are for CMOs at companies of science's size in industries just like science. You know what I mean? And I actually think that that kind of information is super valuable. Right. And for those wondering, an SDR is a sales development representative. Yeah, sorry for using that um, that phrase. No, no, no. I just I had to look it up real quick. I, I wish I, I wish I would have been smarter. I know Jackie knew, but I was like, okay, let me find out. The sales development representative is an individual who focuses on prospecting, moving, and qualified leads through the sales pipeline. Well put. Thank you, Michael, and Wikipedia. According to um, Tech Target, thank you. Okay. Or ChatGPT, okay. right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> So tell Michael the reasons why he should not fear the rise of AI. Well, I actually think healthy the, the skepticism. Pause is enough. Eric, Eric, the pause is enough. The pause told me everything. You're like, yeah. maybe he should fear. You should fear it. And Eric, this is also marriage counseling and you're not helping. Yeah. Well, well, I was going to give you your payload or, or payoff in just a second here. Okay, thanks. You should fear it, but then you should also dive in with both, both feet because- Here's the reality. I named four of those other or three of those other trends and you added social media to it um, as inflection points in our kind of like business careers. Um, where's the business today that didn't embrace the internet back in the mid nineties? Where's the business today that didn't embrace cloud computing, you know, like through the, the 2010s? Where's the business today that ignores and doesn't embrace mobile? Um, by the way, I'm talking about businesses that don't exist because that. The, the time marches on and it leaves behind as roadkill um, businesses that don't get with the trends that are obvious to everyone who's paying attention. And so, you know, I don't want to be blockbuster. I don't want to be like <laughs> a business that that gets cut um, because they, they can't change with the times. And so you could be as skeptical and fearful of AI as you want, but the, the AI revolution is upon us and I, I say get on board and leverage and figure out ways to leverage all of this um, to your best advantage so that your business doesn't become vulnerable. Yeah, no, and I, I agree. I mean, and we've, we've talked, Jackie's done a good job of passing that on to our team, giving them resources, telling them to go learn about this stuff because it's not going away. Um, yeah. You know, and I mean, I saw a show the other day, it was maybe Sunday morning on um, network TV, but it was, they started the show, it may be 60 minutes even, but they started the show with, the following content was quoted by human beings. I was like, wow, that is crazy that that is going to be the norm now. Like you have to state, by the way, this was done by real people, you know, but that's where we are heading to some degree. Yeah, for sure. And I think that there, there will be a rise in those types of disclaimers. Um, I think humans will probably sentimentalize uh, a lot of the humanness that is relatable um, and idiosyncratic and communicated for us going forward. And I, I find actually a future where we become, again, more acutely human because we can leave a lot of the, the drudgery, if you will, a lot of the task-based stuff that if you think of AI as a personal assistant, which is a lot of the phase that we're in right now, um, it's actually probably fairly benign as an assistant. Um, and an assistant that is super powerful and can do a lot of mundane work that you would have otherwise just wasted a lot of hours doing. Um, I think that is being super uplifting to the, 
the human spirit, the like human condition. Um, not that I'm a cheerleader for all aspects of AI, because I'm just pointing out one like little slice of the, the scene, if you will, of the environment. We're recording this in, you know, May of 2023. And I'm even positive that if someone listens to this playback a year from May of 2024, lots going to have changed. Ton. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hold space on that, that point, you know, cause I don't, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict the future, but I can see the writing on the wall of where a lot of these trends are headed. Right. No, I think, I think that you make a great point because any company that thinks they can stay the same and grow, <sighs> it, you have to change. You have to adapt. You have to, you know, get with the times as the kids say. And uh, I think thinking about the companies who did not embrace social media, did not embrace cloud, did not embrace electricity. I mean, you can go as far back as you want, uh, but at every juncture, we've had to figure out how to grow with the change, not just hope the change doesn't happen. Well, I think it's it's hard too right now because the the rules keep changing and the the line keep not the rules, but the the, the goal line keeps changing. You know, I mean, even social media, which we've been in everybody's been dealing with that. Everybody knows about that for what, the past 10, 15 years, right? But nobody really understands social media. I mean, even people that know it don't know it because it's changing because Facebook will change the rules and they'll change the algorithms and they'll change this and they'll change that. So you're constantly having to learn and educate yourself and stay on top of things. And now you're throwing these other things in there too. It's a lot. I mean, it's a lot for people. I, I would hate to be starting a business today versus 20 years ago, you know, when I only had three mediums, you know? Now it's just, it's, it's, it can be exhausting. But I think it's the yeah. exact opposite. And so, sorry, Eric, um, we're going to have our own chat just for a second. Michael's the exact opposite. It's not, oh man, it was so much easier 20 years ago. It's so much better today. Every time we have these huge shifts, we get to know more about our target audience. We have less barrier to entry, which allows people who who typically would have had to go get a million dollar loan from a bank to start a business now can start a business with a laptop and a phone or heck, just a phone. Because at the end of the day, if you have good ideas and you're willing to work hard, that will rise above any minor modification that LinkedIn makes with what they call the thing they want you to click to do the action. Yeah, those little details change. Google changes the rules. Adapt. Yeah, that's the meta message is is adaptation and and frankly, flexibility. I think that the best phrase that I would use to apply here is creative destruction is nothing new, right? Like Joseph Schumpeter coined that phrase back in the 1950s. Um, oh, by the way, I think also in the 50s, um, if you did a study of the Fortune 500, something like a few thousand companies have graced kind of like that list. And there's only been, I want to say less than 50 constants, right? So the biggest, most successful companies <laughs> in America, like are constantly changing. They're constantly dying, falling off the list, like potentially reinventing themselves. Um, I think that cycle continues to speed up tools and the trends and the environments and the technologies only exacerbate that, but this is nothing new. Right. So, yeah, what he said, but that's a hopeful message too, because that also means that we have agency to change things in our own companies. We have the ability to adapt 
in our own companies. We have the ability to try new experiments, run new ideas forward, launch new products. Um, to me, that's actually as hopeful as it gets, you know, like, cause I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in a world where I know the future tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like where I know and everything's just kind of that bland shade of gray where nothing new ever happens or nothing new ever comes on the scene. I'll say this, um, Samuel, your sales executive on your homepage, he looks very intense. He has a very, very intense pose. I don't know if you saw it, Jackie, but it's like, he's like, yeah, come at me. Bring, bring me your problem. I got it. Well, that's very true to his personality type. So <laughs> we captured him and Holly in looks lovely. Glory. Samuel's like, I'm, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get after it. Michael, they may actually listen to this. Could you maybe not pick apart each of them based on their physical appearance or? No, um... they both look great. He just, I'm telling you, he has a stare. He's staring through me. Like, like I'm going to, I'm going to tackle this problem. I mean, it's, it's a good thing. I love it. Thanks for the feedback. It's <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. That All right. is ridiculous. I think this is a good time. I think it is. Oh my God. How's it already been an hour? Yep. That's, I thought I was going to look up and be like, it's only 36 minutes, Mike. You're cutting us short. No, it's 56 minutes in. Wow, Eric, you packed a lot into a very short time. Thank you. Thanks again for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Um, and to everyone listening, tell the people how to find you. Do they, they email you? Do they slide into your DMs? They go to your website. What do they do if they want more information on you and science? Back to where we started. So it turns out there's not that many Quantstrums in the world. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm super easy to find, whether it be LinkedIn or other social media networks. I'm like a sitting duck. Um, and then if, if you're at all interested in finding more about science, that's science without the S. Um, so an intentional misspelling, C-I-E-N-C-E dot -E com. And that's where you can see Samuel and his most intense blue steel poses. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I wonder if y'all have considered some sort of version of a tagline or messaging around, we don't just drop the S, we drop the BS, science.com. Oh. Ooh, I like that. Might just steal it. I'm here to surf. That's my job. I like Michael's it. shaking his head. He's like, oh my God, it did not come from the creative department. Please do not use that. You That's know what? Keeping it real is a, a really good marketing value to kind of like try to master. I agree. Yeah, the problem is we'll be in meetings and, and Jackie will throw out something like that. And then we're, the client will love it and we're stuck with it. They're like, we're, we're in, we want it. I'm like, there was other stuff, guys. But anyway, <laughs> it happens. They're they're all, they're, they're, sometimes they're really good ideas too. So, um, but I, I just, I like to sit on them a little bit. I'm more of a, a process oriented thinker. Jackie's more of a off the cuff, do it now, buy it now, don't try it on. Gas break, gas break. Yeah. I, I think that that sounds like a very yin-yang kind of uh, relationship slash marriage slash business partnership. I would agree. It has, um, it has its challenges, but yeah. It does indeed. All of one leads you right off a cliff. All of the other, you never leave the starting line. Uh, but when you have a good balance of the two, you get to get around the track in a pretty good way. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I agree. Very much. Eric. Thank you. Thank you for your insight. Thank you for your knowledge. Thank you for your wisdom. I hope the people reach out to you. Um, thank you for being our guest. And um, it's been delightful. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.